Modern Fairies and Loathly Ladies, Podcast Series 1. Second episode, Fairy Wives and Fairy Lovers. Hello, this is Faye Heald. And this is Caroline Larrington. In the first episode in this series, we introduced our project, Modern Fairies and Loathly Ladies. In this project, we research traditional tales about fairies in the British Isles and then investigate how some contemporary musicians, writers and artists remediate or are inspired by those tales to make new works of art that speak to our modern lives. In this second episode, we're going to look at some stories about men and women who are stolen away by the fairies and the efforts their lovers may go to try to save them. In some other stories, fairies have come into this world enticed or forced to marry human husbands, to whom they bring wealth and happiness, but it's a domestic joy that doesn't necessarily last for long. And in one medieval romance, a fairy comes into this world to find the man she loves when his fortunes are at his lowest ebb. She rescues him more than once and finally takes him willingly off to the fairy world with her, as this world is too corrupt for a good knight like him to prosper in. Here's Brian McMahon reading for us. Sir Lownfall is a medieval romance recorded in Middle English in the late 14th century. It is based on an earlier tale from the late 12th century, originally composed in Anglo-Norman French. Sir Lownfall was a knight of good birth at the court of King Arthur, but the Queen disliked him, and at the high festival she gave everyone gifts but Lownfall, Eventually he ran out of money and had to leave the court. He took up lodging with a mare who scorned him when he realised Lownfall was poor. The unhappy knight was riding in the forest one day when his horse shied at something and he fell off into the mud, ruining his last set of decent clothes. Just then, two lovely women came toward him and invited him to come to meet their mistress who was waiting for him in a beautiful pavilion made of silk. There, Lownfall found a gloriously beautiful fairy woman called Triamur, who told him that she had long been in love with him and wanted him to be her lover. Lownfall very happily agreed, and they spent the day and night in lovemaking. Next day, Triamur gave him a magic bottomless purse of coins and told him that whenever he wished to meet her, Lownfall should go somewhere private and call her name. Then she would come, but he must never mention her existence to anyone else. Lownfall returns to court, where his standing is much improved by his endless wealth, but he also attracts the Queen's attention, and one day she asks him to become her lover. Lownfall refuses, and when the Queen asks pointedly why he is the only knight in the court who seems not to have a lady of his own, Lownfall snaps that he does have a lady who is much more beautiful than the Queen. The Queen, enraged, complains to the King that Lownfall has tried to seduce her and has insulted her, and Lownfall is ordered to make good on his boast by producing his lady. Lownfall goes off to summon Triamur, but he has broken the taboo and now she will not appear. The King puts Lownfall on trial for his life, and although his fellow knights support him, Lownfall fears that he is doomed. On the day of the trial, as he waits miserably for the verdict, two lovely women ride into court. Everyone exclaims at their beauty, but Lownfall shakes his head. Neither is his beloved. 
Then two more women appear, bearing the message that their mistress is on her way. Again, Lownfall does not recognise them. But finally, Triamor appears in her radiant beauty and splendid gown and shows herself to the court. All agree that she is far lovelier than Queen Guinevere, and Lownfall is saved. Guinevere is furious, but Triamor blows on her eyes, blinding her. Triamor remounts her horse and rides away, and Lownfall leaps up on the horse behind her and vanishes with her to the Isle of Olirun, the other world. And once a year he comes back to offer combat with any knight who will meet him to keep his chivalric skills well honed. Here's the meeting between Lownfall and Triamor in Middle English. He found in the pavilion the king's daughter of Olirun, Dame Triamor that hight. Her father was king of fairy, of Ossient, fair and nigh, a man of Mokulmigt. In that pavilion he found a bed of price, yield with purpabis, that semel was of sight. Therein lay that lady gent, that after Sir Lanfall had he sent, that left some lemmed bright. For hetter her clothes down she did, almost to her girdlestead, then lay she uncovered. She was as wheat as lily in May, or snow that snoweth in winter's day, her sigh never none so pert. The red rose, when she is new, against her roadness not of hue, I dare well say, insert. Her hair shone as gold wire, may no man read her attire, nay not well think in heart. She said, Lon fall my lemon sweet, all my joy for the elite, sweeting paramour. Then is no man in Crescente that e love so mucker as they, king neither emperor. Lornfall beheld that sweet white, all his love in her was light, and kissed that sweet flower, and sat adown her beside, and said, Sweeting what so betide, I am to thine honour. That was Brian McMahon. So, for Longval, then, the meeting with the fairy in the, the Greenwood was a glorious surprise and a very kind of happy outcome for him. And even though he was under a fairly strict taboo, which he breaks pretty quickly, she does forgive him. She does. There seems to be an element of true love in this one as well, that she admires his actions before they've even met. She She's developed a deep love for this human being because of how he behaves selflessly and his generosity and his valour. And and when he needs her, she comes for him. Yeah, and I think her behaviour is pointed up very much against the behaviour of the Queen, who behaves rather like some of the more predatory fairy queens that we meet in other stories. The Queen just wants Lonval, and when he won't sleep with her, she takes it out on him and she concocts full stories about him. So it's not surprising in a way that Lornval is happy to go with his lady love, Triamor, into the other world because this world has been tested and really found wanting. Mm. And his disobeying the rule to not expose this relationship that he has with the fairy, he has to do it in order to maintain 
his moral position with the Queen, that she's trying to seduce him, she's trying to get him to do things he didn't ought to do, and his only defence in it is to be honest about what's going on. So it took me a while to puzzle the contradiction in this, because normally if you if you go against a rule that a fairy has given you, then you don't get your reward, and mm. yet she does come back and he does go away with her, and I've been trying to work out why that would be, and that's the only explanation I can find for it, in that she understands why he had to do it. If he'd been showing off about this amazing lover he's got in the fairy world, I don't imagine it would have had the same outcome. And one of the things I think is so wonderful about this story is that once she's got him off the hook, as it were, she doesn't say anything to him. She just gets onto her horse and prepares to ride away. And he has to decide whether he's going to take that leap of faith and jump up behind her on the horse and go with her. And he's got that split second in which to wave goodbye to her forever but he's now got his standing back in the court and he can now be a respected knight or whether he wants to go with her leave this world forever and just wholly commit himself mm, yeah i think he made a good choice i think he did too <laughs> so in longfall there's quite a clear story going on there between this relationship but there's other songs which are a bit more complicated and tamlin is a great example of this so we have a human woman who is uh, seduced in the woods by this figure, Tamlin, and there is debate as to whether she is uh, willingly seduced or if there is an element of rape there, rape culture. Mm. Mm. And the result is that she is pregnant and she has to free the father of the child from the grasp of the fairies because he himself was captured by the fairies. So Tamlin is this strange fairy figure and yet he's he's a human, actually. And he has some of that danger, doesn't he, that you get with the stories of the, the male fairies, the kind of elf knights who do prowl around in the woods mm. looking for the girl who's looking for adventure and trying to seduce her or take advantage of her or even in some cases trying to murder her. Mm. Um, but then Tamlin turns out to be just another human. And he's looking for his way to escape the fairy world. In order to escape, he needs somebody to care so deeply about him to help him escape. And the only way he can make somebody care so deeply is to get her pregnant so that she has to rescue him so that she can have a husband. So... It, he almost sets Janet up, or Margaret, or whatever name is uh, put into the song, sets her up to be in a situation that she then... He is her saviour, as well as her being his saviour, because to be an unwed mother wouldn't be desirable for her either. Yes, it's a, it's a dangerous situation for her. Um, and I always wonder, as the poet Liz Lockhead does in, in her poem, Tamlin, what happens afterwards? What happens when Janet or Margaret or whatever her name is from got got Tamlin away from the the fairy queen who curses him and says if I'd known what I was going to see this night I would have poked your eyes out just as in fact the fairy mistress in Lornval blows on the queen's eyes there and turns her eyes into into wood so she's blinded so here the fairy queen would have blinded Tamlin if she'd known about the betrayal but then what happens after that? Is Tamlin going to be happy back in the human world with Janet in domesticity? Or is he going to perhaps get back to his old tricks? And just disappear off with the fairies again. You never know. And now we're going to hear you, Faye, singing part of the ballad of Tamlin. Lady Margaret, Lady Margaret, a sowing o'er the sea. And she's all dressed in black 
When a thought came to her head to run into the wood and pull flowers to flower her heart, me boys, to pull flowers to flower her heart. She's hoisted up her petticoat a bit above her knee, and how nimbly she's tripped o'er the plain. Until she came to the merry green wood And she's pulled them branches down, down She's pulled them branches down Suddenly she spied a fine young man Stood underneath the tree Saying, how dare you pull those branches down Without the leave of me, lady, without the leave of me. She says this little wood, oh, it is my very own. My father gave it me and I can pull these branches down. Without the leave of thee, young man, without the leave of thee. He's taken her by the lily-white hand and by the grass-green sleeve and he's laid her down at the foot of an oak. He never once asked her leave, me boys, he never once asked her leave. When it was done, she has turned herself about to ask her true love's name but she nothing saw and nothing heard and all the woods grew dim me boys and all the woods grew dim tell me true young tamlin she said if a mortal man you be oh, i'll tell you no lies lady margaret he said I was christened the same as thee, me love, I was christened the same as thee. But as I rode out on a cold and bitter night, from off me horse I fell, and the Queen of Elfland she took me into yon green hill to dwell, me love, into yon green hill to dwell. And this night, oh, it is the Halloween, when the elven court will ride, and if you would your true love win, by the old millbridge you must bide, me love, by the old millbridge you must bide. That was Faye singing some excerpts of Tamlin. So... Tam Lin was, in the end, happy to be taken out of the fairy world and to be rescued from that life by Janet's loving persistence in holding on and holding on to bring him out of his enchantment. But in some of the other stories, it's the fairy who's dragged out of her own world into the human world, sometimes by force, and she's not always best pleased about it. In the story of Wild Edrich, there's a fairy who is forced into a human marriage and things don't go well. Here's Brian again. Wild Edric Shropshire men must have been well acquainted with the fairies 500 years ago. 
It was reported then that our famous champion, Wild Edric, had had an elf maiden for his wife. One day, we are told, when he was returning from hunting in the forest of Clun, he lost his way and wandered about till nightfall, alone, save for one young page. At last he saw the lights of a very large house in the distance, towards which he turned his steps, and when he had reached it, he beheld within a large company of noble ladies dancing. They were exceedingly beautiful, taller and larger than women of the human race, and dressed in gracefully shaped linen garments. They circled round with smooth and easy motion, singing a soft, low song, of which the hunter could not understand the words. Among them was one maiden who excelled all the others in beauty, at the sight of whom our hero's heart was inflamed with love. Forgetting the fears of enchantment, which at the first moment had seized him, he hurried round the house, seeking an entrance, and having found it, he rushed in and snatched the maiden who was the object of his passion from her place in the moving circle. The dancers assailed him with teeth and nails, but backed by his page he escaped at length from their hands and succeeded in carrying off his fair captive. For three whole days, not his utmost caresses and persuasions could prevail on her to utter a single word, but on the fourth day she suddenly broke the silence. Good luck to you, my dear, she said, and you will be lucky too and enjoy health and peace and plenty as long as you do not reproach me on account of my sisters or the place from which you snatched me away or anything connected with it. For on the day when you do so, you will lose both your bride and your good fortune, and when I am taken away from you, you will pine away quickly to an early death. He pledged himself, by all that was most sacred, to be ever faithful and constant in his love for her. And they were solemnly wedded, in the presence of all the nobles from far and near, whom Edric invited to their bridal feast. At that time, William the Norman was newly made King of England, who, hearing of this wonder, desired both to see the lady and to test the truth of the tale, and bade the newly married pair to London where he was holding his court. Thither then they went, and many witnesses from their own country with them, who brought with them the testimony of others who could not present themselves to the king. But the marvellous beauty of the lady was the best of all proofs of her superhuman origin, and the king let them return in peace, wondering greatly. Many years passed happily by, till one evening Edric returned late from hunting and could not find his wife. He sought her, and called for her for some time in vain. At last she appeared. I suppose, began he with angry looks, it is your sisters who have detained you such a long time, have they not? The rest of his upbraiding was addressed to the air, for the moment her sisters were mentioned, she vanished. Edric's grief was overwhelming. He sought the place where he had found her at first, but no tears no laments of his could call her back. He cried out day and night against his own folly, and pined away, and died of sorrow, as his wife had long before foretold. So poor Edrich there um, lost his wife, or was he to blame in that? 
Well, he does pine away and die when he loses his wife. He did, I suppose, truly love her. But you've got to ask some questions in some ways about snatching your wife, forcing her into marriage with you. And even though she becomes um, a respectable wife and she brings good fortune and wealth and she's so famous, even William the Conqueror comes to inspect her. There's something about his expectations of how she should be back home ready cooking his dinner presumably when he comes back from hunting and then when he shouts at her perhaps it's indicative of the way that some marriages work particularly when the bride is unwilling but it's always a mistake yes and the consequence is that he frees her and then she can go back to where she was longing to be herself and And off she goes as fast as she possibly can Mm. which is not unknown is it in those stories of animal brides Yes, well, it's got echoes of the Selkie stories, which are seal women, so uh, mythical beasts that live in the water who come onto the shore at certain times, remove their seal skins and dance as beautiful women, and then dress again in the skins and return to the water. And a chap steals away one of the skins to, to ensure that this beautiful woman he's fallen in love with cannot return to the sea and must come home with him. So again, it's the same story of entrapment. And uh, it's, it's so sad because it's born out of an utter love and desire for this beautiful creature. It, rather than a, a selfish, uh, rapey culture, it's more mm. of a, a, I need you because I love you so much. Um, and that she doesn't have choice in it. She has to go back and she's trapped. And she, they have children in the Selkie story. And so at some point she she rediscovers her skin and has this terrible choice to make as to whether she should stay a land bride in the house that she's got. It's been a fine marriage and uh, they've, they've produced these wonderful children. Or if she should leave her family and, and world and, and return back to the sea, which I think she ultimately does. Yes, and it's interesting that in one of the best known of the Selkie stories, she already has a husband among the Selkie folks. So when she gets her skin back and she dashes back into the waves, a huge male seal rises up to meet her. And that makes you realise that it wasn't just snatching an innocent girl away and introducing her to marriage in the way that human marriage has always worked, that the reluctant bride has to leave her family and marry somebody. But this is a story where an already existing relationship is disrupted. And yes, her husband loves her and she makes the the best of it in many ways and she gives him these wonderful children. But it must be so hard to make that decision to leave your children behind. Mm, Yeah, and so heartbreaking for the husbands as well. We started with with Edrich uh, pining away and dying after his wife left back to the fairy world. And again, it's kind of born out of a desire to please the woman and create the most amazing world for her, but it's lacking the thing that she needs, so um, she must return. And I suppose it may be some comfort that in some stories about fairy brides, and even I think in some Selkie stories, the fairy mother or the Selkie mother can come back to the beach or to the lake that she lives beneath and make contact with her children. Mm. And in one fairy story, the lady Schlinny van Vach, the fairy woman returns to the lake that she lives in, but she comes back to see her children and teaches them healing law so they don't lose all the contact with their mother. Mm. And I'd like to think that in the, the Orkney stories of the Selkies, that the children who, who are, after all, half Selkie 
can go down to the edge between the, the salt water and the sea strand and call to their mother who'll come to see them. Now that is very unusual to my understanding of fairies, that it's either this world or this world, this time or this time, and there's choices to be made there, um, but that very much bridges the gap. Yeah, well, when children are involved, I think that really does kind of tug on the heartstrings and, and storytellers recognise that it can't be as, as black and white, as decisive as all that. Here's Brian giving us the best known of the Orkney Selkie stories. Selkie Story, The Good Man of Wastness, a tale from Orkney. The good man of Wastness was a handsome, well-to-do young fellow, strong, well-liked, and with a profitable farm it will come as no surprise to learn that many of the unmarried local girls had their sights on him. However, despite their ample attentions, the good man was a man who was simply not interested in marriage. So it came to pass that one fine day the good man was down on the beach at the ebb tide when he saw, a short distance away, a number of selkie folk lying out on a flat rock. Some of these selkie folk were sunning themselves, while others jumped and played in the clear water. All were naked, with unblemished skins as white as snow. Their seal skins lay strewn carelessly on the sand and rocks around them. The good man crept closer. As he neared the place the selkie folk played, the good man leapt to his feet and ran toward them for all he was worth. With a shriek, the selkie folk snatched up their sealskins and quickly retreated to the safety of the sea. However, swift as they were, the good man was quicker, and he managed to seize a skin belonging to one beautiful seal maiden. In the hasty rush to safety, this poor creature had forgotten to retrieve her skin. The selkie folk swam out a little distance and turned to gaze mournfully at the good man. He stared back and realised that all save one had taken the shape of seals. Grinning, he put the captured sealskin under his arm. Whistling a merry tune, he set out for home. No sooner had he left the ebb than he heard the most sorrowful wailing and weeping coming from behind him. Turning, he saw a fair woman following him. She was a most pitiful sight. Sobbing and howling in grief, she held her arms out, and pled to have her skin returned. Huge tears ran from her large dark eyes and trickled down her ivory cheeks. Falling to her knees, she cried, O oh, handsome man, if there is any mercy in your human breast, give me back my seal skin. I cannot live in the sea without it. I cannot live among my own people without my seal skin. The good man was not a soft-hearted man, but he could not help but pity the poor creature. Pity, however, was not the only emotion he felt. With the pity came the softer and sweeter passion of love. The icy heart that had yet to love a mortal woman was soon melted by this seal maiden's beauty. Eventually, the good man managed to wring from the selkie wife a reluctant consent to remain with him as his wife. She had little choice in this matter, for, as all Orcadians know, she could not return to her kin in the sea without her skin. So the sea maiden went with the good man and stayed with him for many a day. She turned out to be a thrifty, frugal and kindly wife, and although she was a creature of the sea, the good man had a happy life with her. 
The Selkie wife bore the good man seven children. Four boys and three girls came from their union, and it was said that there were no children as beautiful as them in all the isles. And all the while, the sea wife and her human husband seemed content and merry. But all was not as it seemed. There was a weight in the Selkie wife's heart. Many was the time that she was seen to gaze longingly out to the sea, the sea that was her true home. So to all the islanders and to the good man himself all seemed well with his family. But as is always the case in these tales, the bliss was not to last. One fine day, the good man and his four sons were out fishing in their boat. With the men folk out of the house, the selkie wife sent three of the girls down to the ebb to gather limpets and whelks for their tea. The youngest girl had to remain at home because she had hurt her foot climbing on the sharp rocks by the shore. As usual, as soon as the house emptied, the selkie wife set to looking for her long-lost seal skin. She searched high and she searched low. She searched butt and she searched ben. She searched out and she searched in, but to no avail. She could not find the skin. The time passed and the sun swung to the west, lengthening the shadows. The little lass, seated in a straw-backed chair with her sore feet on the creepy stool, watched her mother carry out the frantic hunt. Mother, what are you looking for? Oh, child, don't tell, but I'm looking for a pretty skin to make a shoe that would cure your sore feet, replied the selkie wife. But, mother, I know where it is. One day, when you were out and my father thought I was asleep in bed, he took a pretty skin down, glowered at it for a short time, and folded it and put it away in the asins over the bed. When the selkie wife heard this, she clapped for joy, rushed to the place where her long-concealed skin lay. Fairy wheel, peedy buddo, goodbye little child, she said to her child as she ran from the house. Rushing to the shore, she threw on her skin and, with a wild cry of joy, plunged into the sea. Shifting again into her selkie form, she swam out through the waves, where a selkie man was waiting for her and greeted her with delight. All the while, the good man was rowing home and happened to see these two selkies from his little boat. His wife uncovered her beautiful face and cried out to him, Fare thee weel, good man o' wastness, farewell to thee. I liked thee well enough, for thou art good to me, but I love better me man of the sea. Fairies are often predatory in their sexuality. We can distinguish between the kind of fairy woman who wants to take her lover away to fairyland for good or ill, versus a pattern in which the supernatural woman wants to, or is made to, live in human world. The fairies are difficult to escape from, but with courage and determination, men and women can rescue the people they love, and the woman who is taken to live in a different culture, forced to confirm against her will, may often snap and escape to her own place, even leaving her children behind. And as we've seen here in the case of Lornval, even knights are not immune to the problems of corruption and favouritism in the king's court, and they too can find a better and fairer life among the fairies. If you've enjoyed this podcast, join us in the next one in this series where we'll talk about positive interactions between fairies and humans. 
and if you happen to be able to come to the Sage at Gateshead, there'll be a residency with open rehearsals and actual performances of the artist's new work in progress on April 26th, 27th and 28th, 2019. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, blossom, blue, my own.